You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science, and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. We're so thankful to have you here today. We are here with a dear friend of mine, Greg Allen. Greg is an expert negotiator. He's negotiated across Fortune 100 companies, negotiating billions and billions of dollars of contracts over the years. He's been through many of the top training programs in the world on negotiation. And this is actually where I met Greg, and we'll talk about that in the show today, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be thrilled to tell you how much he kicked my butt. And also, I have him here today because he's going to share insights on negotiation and how this impacts every single one of us in our daily lives. And ultimately, Greg spends a lot of his time today negotiating for executives, physicians, and employers to help them set up great employment contracts. So we'll certainly give you an opportunity to connect with Greg at the end here if that's something that you realize could be helpful for you. So Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, and it's real early in your world. I especially (laughs) appreciate you getting up real early to be with us. Anything for you, Tommy. Glad to be here. Well, Greg, I think I want to start with this concept of we actually have negotiations happening all around us almost every single day. And a lot of times people don't even realize that they're in the midst of that. So why don't you kick us off to just kind of help our audience understand what are those negotiations that are happening inside and out every single day that we just kind of go through our daily lives? You're exactly right. We're in negotiations probably more than we ever think. I just run through my day and you have negotiations with your children. If you have kids, you have negotiation with your significant others every day as you go through planning the day. What are we going to do? What's what's our plan for this evening? You have negotiations every time you walk into a store. If you have any significant purchases, everything we do in life is the potential for a negotiation. And as you said, every interaction with another person is a negotiation point. And a lot of us don't ever even realize that, recognize that. And we just go about these interactions on a daily basis. But I truly think the principles of negotiation are around us every day in every interaction we come across. You know, you mentioned uh, even when you're dealing with your kids, and I know a lot of people in our audience, that perked their ears up because it perked mine up. Tell us a little bit more about that. Every situation, you know, if you have teenagers and they say, hey, dad, can I take the car to go out with my friends? That's a negotiation. What are the rules? What are we going to do? What's the agreement? What are the rules if you break them? What are the consequences? It's a negotiation before you say, yes, take the car. The principles of are we going to allow this? Are we not going to allow this? Is there something that you need to do to earn that privilege, to earn that right? How do you lose that right? What is it? You know, you're kind of setting up a little mini negotiation that says, am I going to allow them to use the car today? That's just a simple example. Getting my kids ready for school in the morning is quite a process. You know, we have a large family and this one needs to get their backpack on. This one needs to make sure their homework's done. And hey, did you get this done? No. Well, okay. Well, you're not going to be able to do this until your homework's done. You know, it's a negotiation. And even if you're negotiating with a five-year-old, my youngest is five. We call her the little general around the house. And I negotiate with her probably more than any of my other kids because she runs the house and trying to get her to do the things that we need her to do is a constant negotiation. So 
I think with our kids, every time we're interacting with them on a one-on-one basis, or we're trying to teach them to get them to do something, to get them to do something specifically that they don't want, it's a negotiation without question. So one of the things I've appreciated as I've gotten to know you, Greg, is you really take these interactions, these little, you know, I'll call them micro negotiations even, but, and the larger ones that we all think about, you know, we're buying a car or we're setting up our employment agreement, things of that nature. You really take a systematic approach to how you look at those interactions, how you deal with them. And you just have a very sound process that you go through to get there. I think I want to step back for a moment and just ask, how did you get started in this space? I was born into a large family, so negotiations started at almost nearly at birth. Anything you wanted to do, you had to get several other siblings on board because we used the rule of majority rules at our house. And so you were always negotiating to get people onto your perspective. My dad had told me from a very early age, I should either be in sales or be in negotiation and arbitration because my ability to work with people. So I think that was, I'll say predestined, but I found my calling in the supply chain negotiation world as I was still kind of figuring out what my final degree path was going to be in school. I've stayed with it ever since. I kind of found my niche. I've enjoyed it. I enjoy the constant opportunity to learn, to build out a skill set that comes with negotiation. I like to say to anybody I interact with, negotiations like having the ultimate tool belt. And if you only have one tool in that belt and it's a hammer and that's the only way you know how to negotiate, if you come up against somebody else that's equally as skilled or more skilled with using the hammer, you're in trouble. So you have to be able to pull the screwdriver, the wrench, the whatever tool is necessary out of that belt. And so the ability to continue to add tools to that belt throughout my my life has been one of the things that kind of fuels the passion to, hey, someone has an interesting take on negotiation or there's a new school of thought. And as, you've, as you can incorporate all of those principles into, as you mentioned, the approach that I take, it allows you to, I'll say, be a little bit unpredictable from the other side so that you can use whichever technique or strategy or approach can yield the best result. I love that. So we will definitely get into a little bit further into kind of this whole process of negotiation. But prior to that, Greg, you mentioned things like supply chain, procurement. Some of our audience won't even know what those things are. So can you give us a little bit of context when you're talking about supply chain, procurement, a really one-on-one level, what does that mean? And then how does negotiation work into that? Well, I think most people are probably more aware of supply chain in the last year or two than they have been in the past because of all the news media and all the challenges that have existed in that space. But supply chain is really just the process of acquiring or producing goods and services all the way from the beginning of raw material, all the way through to the delivery to your end customer. So it's negotiating with sub suppliers, purchasing products, making contracts for services to be provided that may be incorporated into the process of your end product, but it's the the distribution and fulfillment of that product. So it's basically from the starting point of an idea, getting that all the way through to the service being provided or the product being produced and into the hands of the end user of that product. That supply chain deals with all the aspects from A to Z in that value chain. So the negotiation is a huge part of that because there are so many steps in the process and you need all those suppliers, providers working in concert with each other in order to deliver the in-service or product. 
And so there's negotiations all along the way. An impact upstream can affect five people downstream. And how do we negotiate that impact out or pricing and deliverables? All of that comes together to determine, are we able to fulfill the end product that we need for our customer? So I like how you said that it's not just pricing. That's kind of, you know, that's the thing we think about the fastest when it comes to negotiation. But when you're talking about supply chain and getting materials so you can build products, it's not just price. It's also quality. It's also timing, all those things. So these all create negotiations in any type of purchasing that a company is doing as they're trying to build their products. And so, Greg, when you and I met, you were actually working for a Fortune 100 manufacturer and doing some, you know, massive procurement work for them. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, at the time you and I met, I was working for Honeywell Corporation, which is a huge multinational. And I was working in their corporate procurement department where we handled the procurement for the entire corporation, you know, a multi-billion dollar company and trying to make sure that you're delivering the services across all the different business units of that company in a way that provides value for everyone. So it was a huge undertaking. It required a lot of coordination with a lot of stakeholders. So it was, you're not just negotiating for one person who has one set of requirements, you're negotiating across the entire spectrum of the company to bring everyone's requirements together and deliver a solution that meets everyone's needs in all the different businesses, in all the different potential use cases. Uh, so it's, it's pretty complex when you get to that size and scope of trying to ensure that you address the interests of all parties involved. That's another part of the negotiation. You're negotiating with your internal customers on what success looks like for them and how what they want may not be directly aligned with what someone else inside the company wants from a different business unit. And how do we have those trade-offs? So you negotiate internally to get to a point to where you can negotiate externally. And then it, that process just continues to follow through as you interact with all the different stakeholders until everyone gets to where they're nodding their head in the same direction. And you can actually put pen to paper and start to close. So Greg, this has really been fascinating for me. What's been fun to watch is you actually go from this corporate negotiation where you know, you're dealing with these large kind of mega companies day in and day out to handle supply chain. And then you're able to parlay that into actually doing some negotiation for individuals. And we'll get to that soon. When we met, we were actually going through a negotiation course at Harvard Business School. And it was so much fun for me. I think, you know, we accidentally got put in the same row the first day or something. And I just thought you're, you know, I just thought you're a cool guy. But then we actually had to go up against one another in one of the earliest, you know, hands-on negotiation exercises. And I remember coming out of it feeling pretty good. And then finding out, I just got absolutely destroyed. Not even close. I think when they put up the results that Greg had the best result in the entire cohort. And by definition, then I had the worst result. And so after that, I was like, well, I'm just going to hang out with this guy because clearly I want to learn from him. He's got real world experience here. And that kind of kicked off a long term friendship that hasn't let up. And it's, you know, been almost a decade now. Yeah, I always appreciate uh, your willingness to accept a challenge. I, I think I remember we went around the room and introduced ourselves and, and told what we did for a, a living. 
And I was one of the few that had probably more background than most in the classroom on negotiation. And I remember you saying, I want to go up against that guy because I want him to kick my butt in the negotiations. And so I always appreciated that about you and your willingness to take on a challenge. And the friendship that's sprouted from that has been an awesome experience for me. And I appreciate you bringing me on. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, Greg, one of the things that I've learned so much from you is that there is a difference in going in prepared versus going in unprepared. And fortunately, I have you in my corner. So ever since that moment, almost a decade ago, I've gotten to go in prepared on darn near everything I do. And it's at a point now when the moment I walk into a conversation or a negotiation, I can tell immediately if someone is prepared or not. So I think what I would like to do is let's take our listeners through that process of preparation. When we say you've got to be prepared for that negotiation or that conversation or that interaction, however it's going to happen, you know, it might be an email. When we say there's a difference in being prepared versus unprepared, what does that mean? The guideline I give to people as I'm training them or working with them on negotiations is you should prepare Six to one is the ratio, the time you should spend outside the negotiation relative to the time you expect to be in the negotiation. Six to one. So, Greg, I would think most of our audience, when they're thinking about their negotiations with asking for a raise with their employer or or things of that nature, I can't imagine most of them are spending six to one right now. Most people don't. And that's the difference when you say you can go in a room and feel the difference or see the difference if someone's prepared or not. How much time have you committed to it? Have you looked at the situation from all angles, from all aspects? Have you broken it down to its core elements? Who's involved? Who's going to need to approve? There's so many pieces of that negotiation preparation that to do it right and to be prepared appropriately is an investment of your time. I also say that the importance of the result should also correlate to the amount of time that you put into preparing. Because if it's a one-off simple negotiation, would I spend six to one? Probably not. But if it's something important like my employment status or a new job I want to take or anything like that, absolutely invest the time. Because what it allows you to do is when people ask me if there's one word to describe me in a negotiation when I'm on my game, what's that word? The word I like is agile because it allows me to respond to whatever may come up from the other side because I've thought through all the elements, all the potential ways they could do it. And you get surprised a lot less if you've done that amount of preparation and you know how to take the information that you have prepared and pivot based on new information that may come up in the negotiation. And that allows you to get a better result. The One of the worst things that can happen in negotiation is I say, if you get caught flat-footed or you get caught unprepared, then you go into reaction mode and you your brain starts going down a different path and you're looking for a way out and you're going to settle for something worse, I'm sorry, than you potentially could because you you didn't anticipate that aspect of the negotiation. So Greg, the way that I've kind of grown to think about it after all of our interactions is a little bit like one of those choose your own adventure books that, you know, we had as we were growing up, you know, it's the concept of being prepared means when we get to that decision point, we already have a pretty clear understanding of what that decision point was going to be. 
and how we think they will want to move forward versus how we'll want to move forward, and then how that impact will actually look. So, you know, one of the things Greg had me do, I had a really, really critical negotiation happening in my life. This is, you know, several years ago. But one of the things Greg had me do is actually sit down and think about what does the other side want? What is their motivations? What's driving them? And if you ask for this, how do we think they're most likely to respond? Okay, if they don't respond that way, how will they respond differently? Okay, if they don't respond that way, how could they respond differently? And then thinking through each of those potential outcomes, almost like a decision tree, if they do this, how will we respond? And then the other part that you've taught me, Greg, is we have to be really clear about our own priorities because we're usually not going to get absolutely every single thing that we want. Although sometimes I've seen you help people do that, but usually we're not going to get everything. And so if we understand our own priorities top to bottom, what's most critical? You know, for some people, it's, you know, I really need six weeks of vacation, not four. And that's more important than an extra $10,000 a year of salary, where somebody else might say, no, no, that extra $10,000 of salary is way more important than those two extra weeks of vacation. So knowing what our priority is sets us up to be able to have the best potential outcome because we know how to pivot. So, right. And the important thing also is to understand what's most important to me. How important is that to the other side? Because anytime I can trade something that's of high importance to me for something that's of low importance to me, but maybe of high importance to the other side, that's a win for both sides because they're getting something that's really important to them that I don't care about as much and something I care about greatly may not be a big deal to them. For the example you used, extra vacation may or may not be a big thing to that company. They're like, hey, we just want you here. We want you happy. Vacation is definitely something that helps keep our employees balanced and energized and performing well. Sure. Two weeks, no problem. And that's where we want to find those value where we get huge value for us for little give on the other side and vice versa. Because those are the points of alignment that bring people together saying this is a good deal. We're getting what's important to us. They're getting what's important to them. And then you get to these few items where it may be challenging for one side or the other. And that's where you spend, you know, the bulk of the time trying to finish the deal. Well, Greg, I think what would be fun for most of the remainder of our time is just to walk through kind of a mock situation and help our audience understand the process that you go through when you're helping an individual as it relates to their employment contract. And I know what I like about what you do is you can either help the employer design a really strong process, or you can help the individual, the employee. I've seen you work with executives. I've seen you work with doctors and do incredible work. So let's just pretend that I'm an executive. You know, I'm a VP. I've got an opportunity to move into a senior VP position. And I think a lot of people, the first step is realizing you don't just walk into that position, <laughs> like that there's actually an opportunity for negotiation as you're moving into that role. Exactly. When I hire people, if they just take my employment offer as is, I always question whether that's the right person I'm hiring because I would expect them to come in and negotiate with me so I can see how they perform. But you're exactly right. 
I always say, if someone says this is non-negotiable, you just started a negotiation because we're going to go have a conversation to see if that's true or not. And we're going to probe the edges and see if there's still an opportunity because there's almost always an opportunity to generate a better result than what the starting point is for both sides. So that's why I say, yes, you should always negotiate those opportunities. So I'm an executive, I'm in that type of position and I come to you and I say, Greg, I need your help. I need your support. I want to hire you to actually help me go make sure I get the best offer possible. What does that process actually look like with me where you're preparing me to be able to do that? So I start out by having a fairly lengthy dialogue in this situation with you as this VP looking for the senior VP role. And I try to understand what's important to you. Why are you looking at the role? What's appealing to it about you? What don't you like about it? I try to help you clarify where your value sits or what you value most in the opportunity that you're looking at. A lot of people say, oh, the opportunity is awesome. But when you drill down, it's some specific elements that if you get those or don't get those, make a huge difference in the satisfaction of that position. So I really try to understand what makes you different? What unique qualifications do you have for this role? What about the role is appealing to you? What's important to you? Just so I get a good feel so I can kind of step inside your shoes for a minute and say, okay, if it's me, here's how I would start thinking about this process. And that's a vital part of it. Negotiation is extremely personal from my perspective. And if you can't step into the shoes of the person that you're negotiating, you're helping negotiate for or with, it's very hard to have an idea of how that outcome is going to go. So I would spend a lot of time trying to clarify what your interests and values are going into the negotiation and then sort of stack ranking those to say what's most important to least important. And then also lining that up with what unique skill sets and abilities do you bring that sets you apart from anybody else that may be looking at this role or anybody else they may be considering This is where I say I I get to be your hype man, to use today's terminology, because I'm going to help you figure out, like, why am I worth what I'm looking for? What sets me apart? And that interactive discussion teases out a lot of those things. And it often brings up just these huge nuggets of value that people have never thought about. We're talking to and they go, oh, and I've done this. Well, that's hugely important to this employer and that experience is going to pay off. And we're going to play that up in the negotiation to let them understand why I'm the right person for that job. So if I break this down into steps, it sounds like the first part is we're going to actually prioritize what's most important to us and make sure we actually understand that. The second thing we're going to do is really take time to understand the value proposition that we are bringing to that organization. And I think that's a hard step for a lot of people because sometimes it's hard to sit down and say, oh, here's why I'm so wonderful. You know, that's like so foreign to me, but that's a really important step is understanding the value that we bring to this organization is going to help us, you know, get the best outcome. Yeah, we want the other party to say, there's no way we can let this person walk away. They are the perfect candidate. They've got all these skill sets that are going to be hugely valuable to us. And if we don't take the time to tease those out and to understand what those are, we could miss a huge source of value and we could miss the opportunity for what's going to actually close the deal. Because those skill sets, people are often humble and they don't want to toot their own horn and say, look, oh, look how great I am. But 
if I'm helping them prepare for that, it's different. We're just trying to understand what uniquely qualifies you for this opportunity and therefore justifies the value that we're going to be asking for. Yeah, it's not about being arrogant. It's it's really about understanding the value we are bringing to the table to counteract the offer that we are asking for. So, okay, that's step two, understanding our value. What's the next step? So I do the same exercise on the other side. So let's talk about whoever's going to be on the other side of the table. What are their interests? What are their values? What are they trying to do? What information do we have about them? Are they the decision maker? Are there other decision makers outside the room that need to be influenced? Like we're trying to put ourselves in the other party's shoes and understand from their perspective, what are they trying to accomplish? How do we best fit that what they're trying to do and how is their alignment there? So I want to think about it from my perspective. And then I want to think about from the other perspective. My undergraduate studies were in economics. And one of my professors said, you'll never meet a one-armed economist because they always have to be able to say, on the other hand. So in this situation, you have to be able to sit and think, okay, I see it from my perspective, but how can I see it from their perspective so that I'm prepared? And I know how to answer the questions they may ask. I want to look at my side and then their side. So we'll call step three really an intimate understanding of the other parties that are involved. Correct. That's a good way to put it. What's next? Then we want to look through options and alternatives. So options are what can we do together that's going to require agreement from the other side. So could we pivot this way? Could we pivot that way? And we want to think through all the creative ways that we could solve whatever obstacles or problems could get thrown up in the negotiation So those are options. And then we want to think of alternatives. Like if I don't get this, what's my best option outside of getting an agreement here? Because one thing that happens often is people accept deals that are worse than what their alternative was. And they don't draw that line in the sand that says, if I don't get at least this, I'm walking away. And they'll accept something that would put them in a worse situation than if they just would have never entered into the negotiation at all. You will run up against situations where the other side just says, take it or leave it. It's rare, but it does happen on occasion. And if you take it and it's worse than what you could have done without them, then you put yourself in a bad situation. And there's often momentum in the deal. They call it deal momentum, which drives us to, hey, we have to close a deal. You have to know what your walk away point is to say, no deal is better than the deal that they're offering. So that's alternatives. What can I do outside of the other party to instead of making a deal with them? Am I looking at two options, looking at two opportunities? Could I stay with my current position and in a year get the promotion that I'm looking for? All those things you want to determine what you could do without the other party. So again, you don't settle for a bad deal where you could have done better elsewhere. So, Greg, I think this is a really important part for our listeners. What Greg's talking about is making sure we understand what our alternative option is, because that is the most important aspect of our ability to negotiate. If we don't have any alternatives, we don't have much of a negotiation because we're just going to take whatever they give us. And, And I see that happen day in and day out. So... One of those most critical pieces and what was absolutely critical in the major negotiation that Greg helped me with several years ago was I knew what my alternatives were. And so I knew if I can't accomplish this, this or this, then I need to walk away because I have a better opportunity right over here. So taking the time to really flush out 
those alternatives, it might mean that you also go seek a potential interview with a different employer. Yeah, I always say that we want to spend a good amount of time increasing the strength of our alternative and decreasing the strength of their alternative so that they need this deal more than we need this deal. So if I say, look, I can walk next door and get the same same or better deal, the incentive for them to make their deal better is high because I, I'm just as happy walking to the other alternative. And if I can make their option say much worse, you're not going to find another candidate like me and or you'll be six months still searching to find somebody else. You don't want to walk away from this and spend another six months searching when you've got the right candidate here. So your alternative is not great. My alternative is pretty strong. That tips the scale in our favor if we've got a really strong alternative. To Tommy's point, if we have no alternative and they know it, that's a pretty tough point to negotiate from. Absolutely. So, Greg, you know, after we after we consider our options and alternatives, what are we doing next? You want to look at who the parties are involved. You kind of have to consider this at the earlier part, but then you want to say, who am I sitting down with? What's their influence? What's their decision making authority? And you also want to plan out the next conversation. So you want to say, what am I trying to accomplish in the next meeting. It may be I'm trying to get to a deal. It may be I'm trying to gather information, trying to understand their timeline. Like you want to very clearly define what you're trying to accomplish in the next interaction. Do I want this to be a one and done conversation or do I want this to be a process where I try to glean more information? If in my preparation, I find out I don't know enough about this element or this aspect My next meeting is to try to gather information around that point so that, again, I build out my strategy more completely and I'm ready for the actual negotiation. So you have to say, do I need to do some research? Am I missing some critical piece of information? How can I go get that to finish out that strategy and then plan for what are the goals for the next meeting, the meeting after that? What's the timeline I'm trying to work to? And I'm making sure that I'm staying on pace with that. So there's not long pauses, long gaps in this and they questioning my interest. Like you got to plan out the, hey, just to set expectations, I'd like to have a discussion. I have some questions for you prior to us moving forward. And then, hey, let's meet and start talking about the terms of the deal. And today I'd like to get to this point. Next point I'd like to get to this point is, you know, kind of structure the interaction point of the discussion. I love that. So Greg, I'm going to summarize, if I can, kind of these five steps we've gone through just to repeat. So first one was identifying our own priorities. So what's most important to us in terms of this actual negotiation? Second is understanding our own personal value proposition. What are we bringing to the table that is unique, that actually is delivering value in a way that someone needs us? Third step truly having an intimate understanding of those other parties involved. Then fourth, making sure we understand the options and alternatives. If we can't get where we need to get, what am I going to do? And if the answer is, I don't have an alternative, then that's not a good answer. And then that kind of last step of planning out the next conversation and any follow-up conversations, what are we trying to accomplish at those intervals. Is that kind of the process? 
Yeah, I think that's largely catches the major steps. There's, you know, nuanced pieces where you, it's kind of one of those steps where if one is successful, move to two, wait, did I learn something in two that makes me go back to one? You know, you kind of have to keep reevaluating throughout the process. And sometimes in those planning of the conversations, you get a new piece of information that's extremely valuable and makes you go all the way back to the beginning to reassess the process. So I, I, it's not necessarily a linear one, two, three, four, five done. It could be, you could repeat some of the steps in that process as you gain in, in additional insight or additional information in the process. But I think that largely captures the way you work from beginning to end. Makes a lot of sense. You know, Greg, we're going to move into my favorite segment of the episode, which is where I get to ask you two questions. The first is the question everybody wants to know. And what I really mean, it's the question I want to know. And hopefully some other people are interested. And then the second one is the question that actually everybody wants to know. So my first question for you is this. Do you have a favorite negotiation or two that you've been through? We don't need any specific names or companies, things like that. But do you have any favorites that you kind of look back to in that mental Rolodex and say, oh, man, this was a good one? You know, besides just mopping the floor with me, at, you know, in our <laughs> class at Harvard Business School. Besides that, what are your other favorites? Well, that one will always sit towards the top. But no, there's been so many great negotiations I've been uh, part of for differing reasons. Sometimes it's this efficiency with which you get to an agreement. Sometimes it's the outcome of the agreement. Sometimes it's where you're able to draw a new line in the sand of a value system for the company. So I'm going to use one that kind of draws that line for the value system of the company, because it was like a defining moment in our company's history, which was a large company I used to work for. We had a negotiation. We had an incumbent supplier, which means they'd been a supplier of ours for a long time. We decided we needed to rebid that piece of the business. It was a substantial piece of business. So we put it out for bid and the incumbent supplier bid a price increase. They said, we're going to go up by this much. We know your business better than you do. We've been with you forever. We're going to increase your price. And then we bid a new supplier, which had not been a supplier to us in the past. And they bid fairly aggressively. It was a sizable cost decrease. And we took that result, socialized it within the company to all the stakeholders And it was pretty much universal alignment that says, hey, let's go try the new guy. They've got significantly better pricing. It's a big impact and big value to the company. Let's go do it. So we communicated back to the incumbent supplier that we were, there was a long process to get to the point where we were, but I'm kind of summarizing it for sake of the broadcast. The incumbent supplier came back and said, we can't lose your business. We'll write you a check today for X million dollars to keep the business. And a lot of people inside the company said, absolutely, let's take the check. And I said, now, hold on a second. This is our chance to define what our integrity is worth in this process. Are we willing to say that you can buy our loyalty by writing us a check? Or are we going to say you need to come aggressive when we put business out for opportunity? Because if we take this check, the new supplier is never coming back because they know this how this that we're just exercising them to leverage our current supplier. And so it took a quite a bit of convincing because it's pretty compelling to say, I'm going to get this check tomorrow, or I'm going to get that same value paid out over time with a new supplier. And so the decision was made to go with the new supplier. And it was a hugely impactful thing for the company. We still got the value that we were looking for, but it defined us that 
that you couldn't place a price on our integrity, that integrity doesn't have a price. So you can't buy our loyalty. You have to be aggressive. You have to put your best option forward or you risk losing this significant piece of business that they'd held for 10 plus years uh, with our company. So I think you have to draw lines in the sand in some of these negotiations to say, we have a, a line we're not going to break. And our the line I was not willing to break in that negotiation was the integrity of the company to say, you could just write us a check and we'll forget everything that happened up to that point and move forward. So that was a favorite one of mine. It's a story I use often to try to pre-prepare suppliers to say, don't think you can just wait us out or give us your not best opportunity. You need to come with your best game to the negotiation. So that's a favorite of mine from a corporate perspective that was hugely impactful. How about for an individual where you've helped negotiate an employment agreement? I guess the one I would draw to that was more of a personal nature was um, what started me down this path a little bit of working for with individuals was working with my brother. So my brother is a physician. He was new coming out of medical school and he came to me and said, hey, you, you look at contracts all the time. Can you help me with mine? And I'd never been approached for that type of perspective. We walked through his contract. We, we modified it. We put all the asks that we wanted to have in there. And he went and had a conversation with his employer, our potential employer. And because of his preparation, the way we were able to structure it, he got almost everything that he was looking for. And then he turned that into the financial advisory firm that, you know, you were running at that time, Tommy. And you guys said, wow, this contract's incredible. Who worked? And it kind of steamrolled from there. So it was hugely rewarding and one to be able to help my brother put him in a much better situation for him and his family. But it also was like the domino effect that kind of created this whole separate opportunity for me and meeting fine folks like yourself and others and being able to just help individuals be in a much better situation because they're able to get the value that they're worth from a potential employer. And listeners, Greg's actually being very kind to me at the moment. So the piece of the story that he left out because he's just a gracious guy is that before he got involved to negotiate his brother's contract, Greg had sent him my way. We were friends. You know, we'd been through this course together. He sent him my way. I went to task and did actually one of the best efforts I've ever done helping with that contract negotiation. And at the time I was doing a lot of negotiation for orthopedic and neurosurgery contracts. And after we got done with our side of the negotiation, then Greg took a look at it and he was like, oh no. And so then he got involved and cleaned up all the mess that we had. And that's what ultimately led to us as a business saying, oh my goodness, Greg, we work with a lot of physicians. We work with executives. We thought we were doing great work, but you're just doing a whole different level. It's like we were the peewee league and Greg was the NFL. And so we just said, Greg, when we have somebody that needs help in this area, can you please just take care of it? Can you help them? And that's been many, many years now. Greg's helped so, so many of the people that we have great relationships with and really has created a company out of that. And so one of the things I appreciate is Greg can be as hands-on or not as needed. So in some situations, it's appropriate. Greg can actually go in and negotiate with the employer. In other situations, that may not be the best option. And instead, he'll go in 
and prepare you to actually negotiate with that employer. So I do want to fully disclose, Greg and I do have a financial relationship because of some of the businesses that I have ownership in. And so I am making that clear on the podcast here. But I've also had Greg's support and help personally. He prepared me for, again, that really, really important situation. It became one of the most important game changers in my professional life, period. So if you're out there and you're in the midst of that, this is really, I think, Greg, the question that everybody wants to know is if they are in the midst of having to change jobs or they're looking at a promotion, anything like that, and they would like some support in making sure that they get the most out of their opportunity, what is the way that they should get in touch with you? Uh, So the easiest way is you can just email me. My email address is greg, G-R-E-G, at conceptchain.com. That's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. I think, Tommy, you're going to put that profile in the notes. So those are the two easiest ways to get a get a hold of me if I can help somebody. Yeah, I would say to anyone, Greg's a great guy to have in your back pocket. Even if you don't have a current negotiation happening, I would still connect with him on LinkedIn. We will put that link to Greg's LinkedIn bio in our show notes. And if you reach out to him, I would just say, instead of just hitting that connect button, this is a really important trick for those of you new to LinkedIn or not figuring out why people won't accept your invitation. Instead of just saying connect, hit that little button that says personal invitation and just put a little note and just say awesome podcast or something. And Greg will know, oh, you know about me because of this Beyond the Ordinary podcast. And that makes it easy for him to then accept your connection. So do that. Even if you don't have any current negotiations happening, I would say the same. If you haven't reached out to me yet, make sure you do that. I'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn. And then if you do have something happening right now where you do need that direct negotiation support, Greg, tell him that email one more time. It's Greg, G-R-E-G, at concept chain.com. Excellent. Excellent. Greg, this has been really, really wonderful. Uh, Appreciate you being here. Appreciate you sharing some of these words of wisdom. And hopefully we can give people a little more confidence going out into their daily lives of understanding those interactions and making sure they are prepared so that they don't be the one that's at the table unprepared with someone like you that is prepared. I appreciate the time, Tommy, and uh, I love negotiation. I think it's an extremely valuable skill for everyone to add to their list of capabilities and uh, happy to help in any way I can. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.